0: Hello, and welcome to Every Moment is a Choice. I'm your host, Erica Behil, and I invite you to join me on a transformative journey to uncover the extraordinary potential that lies within every single moment of our lives. From the choices we make in our relationships, careers, and personal growth, to the mindset we embrace in the face of adversity, this podcast will empower you to embrace the notion that every moment holds a choice, and it's up to us to seize it. Join me as we engage in insightful conversations with thought leaders, experts, and everyday people who have harnessed the power of choice to achieve greatness, overcome obstacles, and create extraordinary lives. If you feel inspired by this episode, please read it and consider subscribing. I'm keen to know how it's impacted you. Today, I am delighted to have Joyce Nazario on the podcast. Joyce is an expert in patient experience now a growing field in hospital and healthcare management, but one that Joyce has been pioneering in Asia, particularly in the Philippines, for over 13 years. Based in Manila, she is the first person in Asia to earn the Certified Patient Experience Professional, or CPXP, accreditation, and is currently the Patient Experience Excellence Head at Metro Pacific Hospital Holdings, the largest private hospital network in the Philippines. Joyce is also a sought-after speaker due to her wealth of knowledge about cultural context in patient experience and the role of the family in healthcare decision-making in Asia. She calls for culturally competent care that takes into consideration local preferences, traditions, and needs to achieve better patient outcomes in diverse environments. Joyce is on a mission to achieve improved health in the Philippines through better patient experience and has some amazing stories to share from her journey. So let's get started.
1: Hi, Joyce. Hi, Erica. Thank you for having me on the podcast. It's my first. I'm super excited to be here.
0: I'm super excited to have you here. Okay. (laughs) So let's get started. Um, So, patient experience. How would you define
1: patient experience? Um, My very first um, brush with the definition of patient experience is really the Barrel Institute patient experience definition. And I think it's a wonderful way to define. But I think we've uh, moved on a little bit from that, meaning we understand that it's about meeting the patient at every touch point. But my definition now would probably be a little bit more um, about how each patient experiences at every touch point. So for me, patient experience or great patient experience, patient experience excellence really is assured, affordable, and accessible care at every single touch point in the journey. So we have to, for me, patient experience has to have those in mind every encounter with the patient, whether it's face-to-face or virtually or on a website or post-care call, um, that's patient experience for me.
0: Awesome. I've heard you, you know, you've done some interviews and you've been on stage talking about patient experience specifically in Asia, you know, different from how it is in the U.S. or in Europe or in other places. What makes it different here in Asia?
1: I think there's a lot of there's a lot of priority in having the family within the healthcare context. I, I see that healthcare is is a familial experience. Just a very good example. When my uncle, who is actually a second removed uncle, gets sick, everyone in the family is in a group chat. Everyone wants to know what are the results of the test or what is the result of um, the last time he went to the hospital, it's a group chat of 15 people. You know, and these 15 people are going to be with whoever the sick family member is on a rotation. And these 15 people want to understand at every point what you know what's happening in the journey. We don't do things here, I think in the Asian context, alone anymore. Mm. You know, we always have to have someone with us no matter what we do. And there's actually a lot of expectation around having family members, and I would say even friends, you know, within your healthcare journey. There's so much expectation for their have someone around you during your healthcare journey. And so many people are involved in the healthcare journey. And I think it's a wonderful thing because as a, as a patient, the, one of the few things that you feel like you can control or have control over is your emotion. And that's why patient experience is very different from customer experience. Customer experience, you have a lot of agency over what you're going to do or what you're going to choose. You have agency over the product you want. You have agency over um, the purse you want to buy, the shoe you want to, you know. But when it comes to healthcare, because you know so little about sometimes what's happening to your body, you have no agency sometimes over the choices you make. You hand over a lot of trust and a lot of faith in the healthcare system and a lot of the only things that you can really control is really your emotions and it's your family and your friends that help you manage your emotions so that you can get that a little bit out of the way you know you you'll have a, a more positive frame of mind or more positive emotional you know um experience at the time because your family and friends are there and then your body you 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 let your body you know be, be treated or um, doing the things it needs to do, along with the healthcare, along with the healthcare system. Of course, the healthcare system will should should for you to have an excellent patient experience. Should empower those within your, you know, within your emotional sphere, your emotional community, so that you know it works really well altogether.
0: I love that answer because there's a lot of talk nowadays in patient experience about kind of service excellence or customer service, and you know prioritization of things like nps scores or kind of brand recognition for certain healthcare providers but yeah coming back to what the patient is actually experiencing and the kind of support system they have around them in terms of a family or friends makes a huge difference and i i agree i've been in asia for 15 years now although i'm from the us and i i see it too you know you don't go through things alone here yes and i think that's a beautiful thing but also very interesting in terms of how a patient experience professional then engages with a patient. Do you engage with the whole family? You know, are you on the 15 person group chat as well? yes. Like what, what had, how does that get handled?
1: Oh, I, th- I think number one, a lot of the times, I mean, just very simply say in the Philippine context, once you walk into a patient's room, it's just that they're never alone. So whoever is inside the room, if you're a doctor, if you're a nurse. You will have to interact with the family that's there in the room. And of course, if the patient is there, maybe if you have a very simple procedure, two, three-day procedure, um, there are just a couple of times that you'll meet with the family, but especially for those patients who need longer-term care or very, say, high-level care, you really get to know the family and friends of the patient because you do see them very often as a healthcare worker. Whether you're a patient experience officer who does daily rounds, whether you're a nurse, of course, who, who are there through a number of shifts and through a number of days, the doctor, of course, who sees the patient outside of the of the in room setting, of course they see they see you outpatient. You will really get to know the, the team behind the patient, you know, the team behind the patient, the family and friends. Even and I, I know this also happens, of course, in you know in the Western context, the, the partner. I mean, the boyfriends and the girlfriends, they're very much part of the families here as well. So you will really see them around and really part of the group chat, the group chat or the group, you know, how 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 you address. Um, In the Philippines, we really look for, I would say, one or two family members that we also communicate with along with the patient. We actually, one thing is a little bit funny about the philippines is i think in the western context it's everything is confidential right away it stops with the patient in, in, in the philippine the philippine context you ask the patients do you want your medical details to be confidential from your the immediate family with you we actually ask for that because it's it's kind of a given already that whoever is with you they're, they're going to find out about your you know your medical whatever you have happening in the healthcare journey or medically to you when they're in the room yeah
0: yeah wow i i know it's <laughs> It's a, it's a different setup. And I think it's very interesting how, as I don't think it's just the Philippines. I mean, I, I think it's different places across Asia have, okay. have similar as well. And one of the things I, I really like your phrase, when you talk about culturally competent care, yes. I mean, this, this isn't just involving the family, but this is kind of all different types of factors. What other factors are there in culturally competent care?
1: In the Philippines, we have, um, two major, I would say, two major religions. So, of course, a lot of us are Catholic, but, you know, we have a lot of Muslim brothers and sisters. And that also goes into the other countries, of course, surrounding the in Southeast Asia. And there are a lot of things that you really have to think about in terms of making sure that, they have the care that is appropriate to their religion, number one. So, of course, the food that they eat is very important. It's it's really part of a lot of the, you know, depending where you are in the Philippines, like the hospitals of Metro Pacific Health that are in, in Mindanao, they really have their own setup for our Muslim brothers and sisters. They have certain languages as well. And we have interpreters already available. You don't have to look for one. They they're integrated into the staff already, so that there won't, there isn't any gap in terms of getting to communicate with the patients according to according to their language. Again, food is very important. And one thing that I know it's very simple, but I think the dignity and privacy, especially how different cultures manage the females and males, it's very important for them. I mean, there's especially for the females. They really would prefer to have female health care healthcare workers taking care of them, especially in more vulnerable settings, say, you know, of course, um, bathing, dressing up, um, certain procedures that would require them to remove clothing. It's very, very important for them that that is part of the care that they're given, you know, the dignity according to the work where, where they are in, in the country. Also the way that you, you know you get to talk or speak to different um healthcare workers. You know what? I was having a conversation with my colleagues from Bangkok actually, and he was saying, you know, the difference between um, our, you know, our nurses is the Filipino nurses are, are very, I would say, outgoing. <laughs> They're very outgoing. You know, they, they find out that you, you're you Filipino, or even understand a little bit of Filipino, they call you kuya or ate, which is like, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is a very respectful term for an older brother. sister says, kuya, you're here again. So ate, you're here again. But he was saying that a lot of the Thai nurses, um, because of the culture, are very, I would say, a little bit more... Um, demure in the way that they get to speak to the patient. So sometimes also, um, especially for cultures that are very, I would say more straightforward, there, you know, there is something in the way in, in the way that the healthcare, you know, the healthcare does happen. So it's the same thing. If you're a patient and your thigh, you're not as straightforward in, un, you know, in asking for what you need because that is part of your culture. So it's the same. If you are a healthcare worker and you're taking care of your Thai patient, you have to understand the culture and be the one to draw out what they need. You know, you have to draw out what they need, but in a way that doesn't overwhelm the way that you know that how, how they're thinking, how they're feeling at the time that that they're in the hospital or on the phone or you know whatever way that they're interacting with the healthcare system.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there seems to be so many factors. But the end goal, like you mentioned earlier, is kind of the emotional state of the patient. And yes. whatever factors kind of contribute to that, you want to make them emotionally kind of engaged and supported, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So that's so cool. I mean, I mean, across Asia, there's a huge diversity of languages, like you mentioned. So there's language, religion. Um, the different kind of cultural norms that come along with religious practices um, and all that and everything. So do you make sure that your staff, because you mentioned there are some integrated in Mindanao um, with the Muslims so that they can treat Muslim patients. The diversity of your own staff when you have a patient experience team, do you have to craft it specifically for the type of patients that are coming in?
1: Yes, you know, we we really do as much as we can. Well, Mindanao is very specific because they have a very high population of, say, uh, Muslim brothers and sisters. So, of course, you will really see within the staff, it's integrated. Of course, they wear their, you know, what they have to wear on top of their head. So that's really part of it. That's very that's very normal for them. They also have certain languages. Again, one of the languages we often hear in Mindanao, it's called Tausug. No? So there's a certain hospital that has... We already have staff um, that speak also already for the specific set of patients. One of the things that we like to do, and it's very important, and I think very specific to the patient experience team is, we have this thing called prepping. Prepping, you prep. You prep the patients, and you prep actually also your doctors, because you kind of act as an in between as patient experience. I like to say that we're kind of the gap fillers, right? Because we understand the patients, but we work with the healthcare workers, so we fill the gaps between them. So we, we... Often prep, for example, our patients. If we have a good relationship with them, we need to tell them, "Oh, by the way, your doctor is actually pretty. You know, he he speaks really fast, and um, he he he's very smart." But this is the way he. He he gives he gives you healthcare information before he arrives. You might want to list down three questions already, so that when he comes in, he doesn't forget that to answer those questions. On the other hand, we'll talk to the doctor if he's coming in before the patient. By the way, your patient is very shy, and um, she actually mentioned these things to me. So when you come in, maybe, doctor, um, you could bring up these certain aspects that she was asking me a bit earlier because I believe she would like these addressed during the conversation you have when you come visit your patients. So that's a very important aspect of, um, I would say, patient experience. Um, Of course, patient experience officers do this, but actually the nurses do this a lot as well because they're the in-between, right? And it's something that we have to understand, and again, like you said, Per cultural context, as those in betweens, we have to understand them and get them into the healthcare conversation. That that's what we actually makes for me the best patient experience. You know, when you mentioned earlier that brand is important, of course, brand is important because we're business. We need patients to come into the hospital. That's true. NPS is important because we want to understand that the do the patients really love us enough. To come back or tell other people that, you know, this is a good healthcare institution, come to the healthcare institution. But in the end, as much as I, you know, I, I give a lot of importance to this. personally, we track also NPS um, as, as a metric, as a business metric. But in the end, it's really about um, what happens at the worst of times. And uh, even uh, just to share a story that it happened lately to someone on the team as well that um, unfortunately, there was um, something going on in the family. They had to bring that person to the to the emergency room. And he didn't say to the marketing team, oh my gosh, marketing team, it was amazing. The first person he talked on the team was me and said, you know, this amazing care that we received in the emergency room, you know, it really matters. And I said, yes, of course, patient experience matters because in the end, that's what they remember. They're not going to remember as much what they saw online. You know, they're not going to remember so much what, every number of stars the hospital has, they're going to remember the care that they actually received you know, on the spot. And even more so if it's appropriate to who they are as a person. And again, that's where the cultural context comes in. Was it appropriate to them as a Muslim? Was it appropriate to them as a Buddhist? Was it appropriate to them as you know, practicing Hindu? Was it appropriate to them again as an Indian? Were were they spoken to in a way that tried to adjust to the accent that they had? Were they spoken to in a way that they have a different way of speaking English You're trying to meet to meet that gap so that they have better understanding? That matters the most.
0: Yeah. And what you brought up there highlights, like you said, the difference between a customer experience and a patient experience. When someone is a patient, they could be there in an emergency situation. They could be having one of the worst days of their life, basically, if they come in for a serious injury or something has happened to their mom or something. I mean, this is really, the, the emotions will be running so high. And in that moment, they need something more than just, you know, a shiny waiting room or exactly. a nice digital app or something. They need they need empathy. Exactly. You know, they, they need empathy. And I think that's what you're describing is meeting them where they are. That's so beautiful, so beautiful. Um, yeah, so i we talked a little bit about the diversity in the kind of healthcare team and in the patient experience team. How do you see the role of, you said patient experience is kind of like a go-between sometimes between the doctors and the nurses. Do you ever find yourself having to do like damage control? (laughs) Because a patient's experience is always, you know, it's not just the patient experience person who formulates there. It's whoever they come into contact with. So are you often trying to kind of uh, talk to doctors or other healthcare workers?
1: Definitely, because I think it's really more of, um, when we talk about damage control or going between, it's really more, again, it's getting, say, the doctors to understand how the nurses are, or the nurses have to understand how the doctors are, or the patients to understand how the nurses are, or the patients to understand how the doctors are. It's really putting things into the right context. And of course, for example, um, uh, the doctor came in, they were short with the patient, and the patient says, I don't really like that doctor too much, he's really short with me. And of course, our job as patient experience offers would be, actually, your doctor is one of the best spine doctors that we have in the Philippines, Um, we understand it's just that, you know, this is her or his brilliant mind, the way he, you know, he, he talks. But if you look at the actual results of what you were doing, you actually have the best results we've ever seen, you know, compared to other patients. I will talk to him, of course, and let him know that you would like to spend more time with him to understand a little bit more. And I know for a fact that he's very concerned about you because when we get to talk about you as a patient, you know he's really looking. He's really looking at the results that you need. So it's just really about his communication. And I know he, that he's working on it as well. And then you know, of course, you'll we'll get back. And be very, you have to be very honest. You get back to the doctor, and I'll do it maybe in a more Filipino way. Doc, you know the patient was saying that they might want to spend a little bit more time with you. And that's how you do it, right? That's the go between. You no, know, yeah. yeah, she was saying. You know, the patient was saying that you know you're really he she really smart, but you know, they didn't really understand some parts of what you were saying. Can you do that the next time, doc? Yeah, I mean, that's the way it is, right? That's the way it is because you have to you have to meet people or try to get them where, where they are so that they, they understand better. You know, you're not going to apply. And that's one thing as a patient experience professional, you have to have a lot of, we have to learn how to adjust and move like water through everyone and everything. You know, you have to have that capacity to be flexible. Sometimes you're going to be the tough person. Patient experience often has complaints management under them. I was a complaints manager for many years. Sometimes you have to be the person to, you know, stop very intense situations. So you're the tough one. But a lot of the times, also you're you're kind of the buffer for a lot of things that are happening. You're you're the soft one when it comes to certain interactions that are happening.
0: So it sounds like, in terms of the top skill set for mm-hmm. patient experience, you're talking about communication. Uh, you've got empathy in there. Yes what what else would you consider kind of the top skills for someone in patient experience
1: critical thinking very important because okay. because you you're put into a lot of situations where well, number one, you have to be very knowledgeable about the healthcare system. You can't be a, a true patient experience professional without understanding the ins and outs of a hospital. Um, I had a, one of my former bosses, her name is Marilyn. She was the first one who actually used patient experience in the Philippines. She was my boss in, in my former company. We actually work together now in Metro Pacific. So she's the one who used it here, and she got it from Cleveland Clinic. So more than 10 years back, more than 10 years back. And she was the one who didn't allow us to go on the floor without having enough training from the ones who are the other patient experience officers that were working because she said that we can't do our job right if we don't understand what's happening within the healthcare system because it's so complex. Um, The hospitals I used to work for, there were two hospitals of 600 beds each. For the Philippines, that's a very big hospital already. So I believe in the same thing. You have to understand the system very well. And number two, how to to think at the moment. Um, again, I come from complaints management and there are some very, very volatile situations that you could be in. You know, it could be privacy. It could be, you know, a very bad outcome. You know, you have to rethink on your feet sometimes with, you know, having to mix being empathetic, but honest, but also understand your position as someone working in in the hospital, Right you know, you can't just throw that out the window for the patients. You have to balance all of those things. And critical thinking really, you know, is able to manage all of these things together. And as a patient experience officer, really top um, skill for me. And it's, not, it's, it's not something you can just learn. You know, it, it takes a while. <laughs> it takes a while for you to be able to, to do that within the healthcare context.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, I mean, there's so much of a responsibility for patient experience officers and anybody who is dealing with patients frontline mm-hmm. to be able to make decisions in the moment yes. so you know not everything is a checklist and not everything is kind yeah. of um, prescribed right mm-hmm. you, so you have to think of how do i deal with this situation in the moment what are the tools i can use yeah. to do that i mean i know that you are a certified uh, patient experience professional the cpxp which is a international accreditation how do you you know, when you're managing people who are patient experience officers, do you kind of train them in similar techniques or do you give them communication skills? What kind of things do you do with them?
1: Here in Metro Pacific, um, currently my role is really, I'm at the head office at the moment. Mm -hmm. So I don't do a lot of operations anymore, but in my previous experience, yes, it was very important for the new patient experience officers to really learn on the floor. So of course, they read the policies as part of it. They go through the induction. But a lot of the time, it's really, we really did a body system throughout the different departments of patient experience before they could actually take care of patients on their own. So it is very important that they got to see, you know, frontline patient assistance. So, of course, we have the kind of concierging, you have the one on one assistance, or you're deployed to a high traffic unit and you do a lot of patient management and flow. Um, the analytics part, of course, so that they could see the surveys, understand how the reports are being made. And of course, how the reports are being relayed through the hospital, through the different road shows, or the different town hall style of reporting. So they should be part of that as well. The rewards and recognition part, of course, they have. We have to celebrate. I think that's one of the best parts about healthcare. Is we're so celebrated now, and it, you know, there's a lot of recognition that finally the healthcare workers have received because the years prior to COVID, it was it was terrible on online. Erica, I mean, there were so many. And I, I don't know if you remember, there were so many tired nurses and doctors being, pictures being put online and saying, oh, our doctors are sleeping on the job or our or nurses are sleeping on the job. But they were just tired. And now it's the flip, right? When we see tired doctors and nurses, we celebrate them now that they're there taking care of us. And I'm so happy one of the very, very few positives of COVID, you know, there's a lot of realization how difficult the work is in healthcare. And, you know, it's it's a good thing in a lot of ways. So we have to celebrate that. So, of course, patient experience, we, we're the ones who, of course, bring in the voice of the patient to make sure that it's celebrated. So that's, that's a fun activity as well. Of course, again, as the complaints management part, they have to understand how to frontline handle um, issues and concerns and make sure that things don't escalate or, as much as possible, the service recovery turnaround times are, are, are pretty fast because we want, you know, we're, we're all people and there's no such thing as zero errors when it comes to services because humans handle that. Right, yeah. but a good system has a very good service recovery system as well embedded, and that's one very important part that the different patient experience officers um, do have to do. So you know, just to recap, so of course we have the frontline assistance, we have our concierging, we have the. We have the rewards and recognition, we have the analytics, and, of course, we have the complaints management as well. So those are important parts of what a patient experience officer should have. Strategy, of course, as you move up, strategy comes into play already as well. So I'm really more of strategy at this point in time.
0: Yeah, yeah. You brought up the um, the kind of the patient's overall perception of healthcare workers and how that's yes. changed from with COVID. Yeah. And I think that's it, it's encouraging to hear that, patients are kind of realizing how tough a job it is and having a bit more understanding of what healthcare workers have to go through. Do you think that's universal because I think in some in some cases, you know, patients have have not always seen them, you know, with with such sympathetic kind of lenses or maybe they did a bit during covid and now it's gone back to oh, why am i not being treated? why why is this taking so long or something. Um, how do you see that overall? Because I think the the impact on the healthcare workers right now, there are still a lot of healthcare workers who are quite burned out. They are, and um, patient experience, you know, you you can't give unless you have yourself. You know, it's 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 hard for patient experience people to actually, if they're burned out, you know, show show a lot of empathy. So how how do you see that? changing as well. Do you see a lot of burnout?
1: I, I agree with that. You can't give from a cup that's empty, right? There's nothing to give anymore. In in my context, again, this is the cultural context, right? The Philippines export nurses. We have... <laughs> so it's kind of different because a lot of other countries desperately need nurses. The Philippines, we have the nurses, actually. We're very lucky in that way. Well, I would say the last two years, what actually... Exacerbated the shortage of nurses was the Philippine healthcare system um, decided to move to K to twelve a couple of years ago, so K to twelve before we were K to ten. About well, I mean we, we didn't have the se- we didn't have the seventh grade we didn't have the eighth grade. It's up to sixth grade and then you'd go straight into high school four years So ten years. So what happened was that it, and the years that that happened coincided with COVID. So there was a massive shortage of nurses everywhere because also the Philippines had a shortage of nurses for the very first time because there were always a lot of nurses in the Philippines. So for us, we're actually seeing so many new nurses coming back. That's the difference with us. And because this is my perspective, of course, again, this is the cultural perspective. We know that they're coming back to us again because they didn't go during COVID because, number one, because of the change in the educational system, that's number one. And number two, because of COVID itself. But now this is the first year because the shortage came in 2020, 2021. So it just really, it coincided exactly. Um, I would say nursing uh, enrollment is up again this year there are so many more nurses who are set to graduate within 2023 so we know that it's there there's burnout but they they're going abroad again i mean everyone is going going back abroad and again it's a different context i would like to be able to speak more for the other countries but for us it's a bit better already it's a bit better in our case because again they come from the philippines a lot of them come from the philippines
0: uh, yeah, I mean, living here in Singapore, most of the nurses at the hospitals here are <laughs> Filipina, and yeah, I think that's, yes. I think wherever you go in the world, uh, yes. you're gonna find Filipina nurses. What is the What is the trend behind that? Why are there so many nurses coming from Philippines?
1: Again, go back to the cultural context. It's just yeah. that the culture of the Philippines is it's caring. Yeah. We're, as as a culture, we're we're hospitable. We take care of each other. Fifteen member group chats. <laughs> that's the kind of culture we have as filipinos you know when i get to talk to colleagues friends um especially western and they talk about say uh, a assisted living home or nursing home that doesn't happen in the philippines your grandparents are gonna stay and live with you and if they don't people will think oh my gosh why aren't you taking care of your grandparents or the old yeah. people in your family it's just almost unheard of even the poorest of the poor would have their grandparents or the elders in the family come live with them your aunts or uncles who don't have children they will come live with you when you get older it doesn't matter it's just the culture of the philippines and that's why i think we're so drawn to the nursing to the nursing profession because that part is not it's not hard to learn for not hard to maybe they have to change up the empathy and the warmth and the compassion for the family you know to to make it appropriate to the healthcare into the healthcare setting but it's there already. It's not something you hardly have to talk about because we, we always say it's like, oh yeah, they're, they're, they're like family. Again, the term I was telling you, Ate, Kuya, that's for an older family member or even older, Tita, Tito. That's for an older family member, aunt or uncle. It's just everyone gets called that. If you go into all of the hospitals in the Philippines, especially the government hospitals, everyone's gonna call you Atikuia. <laughs> as long as they perceive you're a little bit older than you, they will say that, or they call the grandparents Lola, which is grandmother Lolo, Lolo, or no, kind of in between. Say you're in fifties, your Nai, in Inaya's mother, Nai, Nai, Tai, Tai's father. It's just really like that. It's so natural for us. So I, I guess that's it. I mean, we we take care of each other. We take care of each other. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It it does seem to be a very natural attribute of those nurses. I mean, even here in Singapore, when I was a patient, I I, I always say that the doctors are highly skilled and the doctors treated me. But it's the nurse who holds your hand.
1: That's true. (laughs) And, And one other important thing about the Filipino nurse and the Filipino diaspora, we speak English. Such an advantage, right? <laughs> because of, yeah, because the Americans were here for 50 years. Yeah. And then that's when they released us. So a lot of us, um, I think the country in itself, um, English was the national language for some time before it went back to Filipino. So yes, we, I mean, that, that's a very important part of our history. Something that made us very equipped also to be nurses abroad.
0: Yeah, yeah. So let's, I want to talk a little bit about, because everyone in healthcare is talking about artificial intelligence, AI, yes. and the role that AI may play in healthcare, will play in healthcare. We don't know. You know, there's so many possibilities in startups. So over the over the next few years in, in particular, do you see AI helping patient experience or replacing patient experience? Like h- how do you see frontline healthcare workers responding
1: to it? AI is definitely a big, big plus for healthcare. Number one, one of the things that it's it's so difficult sometimes to get you're kind of your foot in the door when it comes to healthcare. You call, the phone lines are busy, you know, emails take a long time to reply to, you have to line up. But AI will, because because of the way it's evolved, especially using NLP now, you know, all of those various, all of that information that they need from the hospital, they can just type it in and it'll pop up. It'll be correct because it's all one database anyways. That database that goes into the AI should be screened and filtered before. And it's just going to make things so much easier to get the patient's foot into the door for healthcare, scheduling, um, basic information. What is the admission process? What is the discharge? It, it's just going to make it so fast, which is which is amazing. I mean, I'm I'm 100% for AI, but caveat, the thing is with healthcare is you have to be very careful about the information itself, because when it comes to retail, you can make a mistake. No one's going to die over that sort of information, but healthcare, that's that's the thing we have to be a stickler and very meticulous about the information going into the AI because we don't want it coming back with the wrong sort of information for our patients. Though I would say at least at the beginning for the next year or two, Um, You know, we want to use AI as really more of informational, more of like a compendium of information that answers back very quickly, which is okay because that's kind of basic things. So it's kind of processes more than actual medical care. But yes, in the future, I mean, it's been going on for a long time. We all know that radiology is used AI and it's actually a higher percentage in terms of, you know, diagnosing things. So I don't see anything wrong with it. The doctors are like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to our jobs? But in the end, putting this information into the system it's not done by AI, it's still done by people, right? All of our jobs, whether patient experience, whether doctors, whether nurses, we're going to undergo a very, you know, a very, I would say very tough transition or transformation into our roles. But I think overall and in the end, this will really benefit our patients. When you're sick, when you feel bad, you don't want to wait. Not even 30 minutes, not even five minutes for anything. And the opportunity to get this information immediately. I mean, even I. I come from the healthcare industry, and say, I mean, you know, we're very open here. I say, I had, a, I had a UTI. I had to wait for four days or five days for the results to come out from, from my test before I could get the right medication because they didn't want to give me an antibiotic early on because they, you know, you know, antimicrobial resistance. But I was suffering for for four or five days. Yeah. You know, and it was tough. I had work to do. I had, yeah, I had to take care of my family, take care of my husband, and it didn't kill me. I agree. didn't kill me, but it was not a fun five days. It was not a fun four days. And for that to get done immediately for a patient, you know, I don't don't feel well right now. Call in the next hour, you get your medicines delivered. Amazing. Go, go, go for AI, (laughs) go for AI. (laughs) So,
0: so if you had a magic wand and could kind of Integrate any type of AI into specifically the patient experience function yes. within your hospitals. Say you had a, a bunch of hospitals, what kind of tool would you want that you think would make a huge difference to patients?
1: Well, actually, um, I think especially in the Philippine context, Filipinos like to talk a lot. Actually, they like, they like to text. They like to talk a lot. If it was at all possible, when, if you know, if you could, say, have a tablet in every room and you could have a talking AI. So you just open up the tablet and ask them in person. That would be the best kind of AI. The soonest possible time, I would love that. Text is okay. It takes a little bit more time. But even now, I'm actually personally shifting to what when I write anything, a document, I turn on dictation because it's faster. Mm-hmm. Instead of typing out, for me, dictation is a bit faster. I just kind of edit it out a bit after. And I think same thing for healthcare because the less that you have to move. Um, yeah. it's better. But of course, there are people who don't have that voice function, so of course, tech should be available. That would be the best for me. What should come in when it when we when have that AI function, number one is really, because the the pain points and the patient's journey, and we've seen that through many years, it's really the discharge process. It's really to get the discharge as soon as you, the doctor says you can go home to get you out of the door in 15 minutes. You know, just enough for you to have a nice bath and pack your stuff and, You know, leave. Your medicines can be delivered to your home. That would be the best thing. (laughs)
0: How how long does it normally take? I mean, what are we talking (laughs) about?
1: Well, it's, it's not just the Philippines, but I think an average around the world is around four hours probably from discharge. Yep, it, it does take a And that's considering, I would say, after the clinical discharge. Yeah. So yeah, it does take time. Some hospitals are very good at it. They do it in an hour. If you have insurance, you can get out in an hour. But some hospitals don't, especially you have to pay, pay on your own or you, your payments are coming in from multiple sources. Yeah, it, it can take a, it take a couple of hours before you can leave the hospital.
0: Yeah, that's kind of a an impact on the patient, but also on the hospital because you're not freeing up the bed.
1: Exactly. on um, The next patient who can't get into a bed right? Because they want to get into a bed, but they're stuck in the ER. They can't get into a bed or even a direct admission patient who's ready, ready to get into the room so that they can prep for their surgery the next day. They can't get into the bed because, you know, someone is still there. You have to clean up afterwards, you know, do the disinfection. So yes, it it does impact. It impacts admission actually.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, okay. So I want to hear a little bit more more about you and uh, your journey. Through to PX uh, patient experience as well. So, if we go back in time a little bit, as a, as a young girl, would you have envisioned that you'd be doing patient experience? What what
1: were your aspirations? I mean, not at all. But. Of course, as every little girl and her dad, her dad was like, oh, My darling, you're going to be a doctor one day, aren't you? was like, Yes, of course, Dad. I'm gonna be a doctor. So <laughs> I went to the right schools. I did train to be a doctor, but I have to be very frank, my grades were not that good. And I'd feel very sorry for the patients. So someone as their doctor. <laughs> but you know, I, I couldn't get it out of my head. I mean, whenever I walked into a hospital, I was like, I really like it here. I can't, I couldn't. You know, I was so interested in what was happening happening in the hospitals every time I had to walk into one. I mean, I was very lucky. I, I, I don't remember really having to go myself. But of course, you know, your parents go there, you know, your relatives, your friends, you come visit them. And I was just so interested with everything that was happening. So I thought, you know, maybe I should go back into healthcare. I actually went to school in Germany for a couple of years. And, you know, I came back and my dad was like, so what do you want to do with your life? I'm like, I don't know, maybe you should just, you know, I worked with him for a while. And then I'm opening, op- there's a new hospital that was being built, and I joined that hospital as, it, back then, it was customer care officer. My dad was like, mm, "I don't know. I think you you went to too much school to 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 join, at, you know, at that level." I was like, no, just let me try, please. I, you know, I want to try. It, I want to try." It. Mm. So, okay, fine. As long as you don't ask me for money, <laughs> and you can you you know you you can take care of yourself. Fine, you do what you want to do. And I just found the passion for it. I was always the one who the managers would ask we have a patient here can someone stay i'd be like yes i'll be the one to stay Uh, is there an opportunity for promotion yes i will work every weekend for the promotion i just it just became my life and I, i i loved it i mean i I was so amazed, especially when it really transformed into patient experience. And I think that was really the tipping point where it became patient experience versus customer service. Because back then, customer service was, it, it felt very, I mean, it was nice because I did a lot of, I would say, VIP assistance because the hospital I worked for before was, is, is a premier hospital in the Philippines, which is nice. But things changed for me when I got into the complaint, when I became a complaints manager, because that's where I saw the real worth of the patient experience as patient experience professional, because that's where you got, you know, people going through the worst of times, you know, their child had passed, you know, unexpected outcomes. You were there, you know, to hold their hand when you had to bring them down to the basement. You know, and that's where I felt this is where I really belong or for them to understand. They didn't understand, say something, there, there's something that happened that wasn't expected, but, it was a possibility to help them understand and come to grips with that happening. I thought this is where it really was meant to be. And then we did the surveys and then the surveys came out and it started becoming digital. So first of all, the surveys were paper. I started working on the paper surveys. I was like, Wow, this is really good information. Why aren't we reporting this to the whole hospital this way? Because it wasn't. We just report some scores, patient satisfaction scores, and that was it. It's like, there are a lot of really good comments here. I think we have to start acting on these comments. And then the way I started churning out the reports, the different different executives of the hospital were like, they are starting to use it for, for strategic planning, for you know, and I, I felt so good about that. It's like, this is I didn't realize, you know, some paper numbers could do this. And then we transformed into the digital where things were starting to move very fast. It was so easy to churn out the reports. So the analytics, I was able to move it on to someone else, and I moved up to a more strategic position. And then the way I laid out the patient experience team we're like, wow, we're, we're doing really well in patient experience. You know, the way that that we're able to relate to the doctors, to the different, you know, different ancillary units of the nursing units and the, you know, the way we started working on process re-engineering projects together. It was amazing how it started. It really became very, I mean, patient experience is rooted through the organization already. And every time they wanted something done, it's for patient experience. And then I said, okay, fine, it's for patient. Yeah, but I mean, isn't that the end goal of what, I think that's the end goal, right? When everyone says, well, we're, well, we want this project because it's for patient experience, better patient experience. Okay, we'll approve that project. When you come to that point, you know that you're doing the right job, right? You're doing the right job. You're in the right place where, where people just say the words. And a couple of years before, it was so hard to transition out of customer service. And now everyone's like, no, patient experience, patient experience, patient experience. You see it more often now throughout different Hospitals, if you do search out a lot, they use that term a lot more now. Of course, our hospitals now they all use it, the 20, 21 hospitals that we have, but even the other hospitals, they've really started using that that term. And I'm glad because it brings us all back to, you know, what our patients and their families really need.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm so glad you brought up the the part about, you know, helping and guiding patients and their families through really tough experiences. And you know every everyone in healthcare has to deal with a lot of emotional and they do it with different ways you can compartmentalize it kind of desensitize yourself to people's emotions but how do you how do you recharge yourself cuz dealing with heavy emotions at work means you have to also take care of yourself
1: at the beginning it was very tough for me i remember coming home um, after certain very intense uh, intense encounters and i just, my, my my family couldn't get really talked to me because I was processing a lot of it. But when I reframed it into I'm actually doing this, they're not mad at me per se, or they're not mad sometimes at the hospital. They're sometimes mad at the situation that they're in. And when I reframe it and, and tell myself, this is I do absorb the the emotions from time to time. That's true. But it's really about cognitively putting yourself in the right space when it comes to dealing with emotions. I have to admit, it was a very tough time. So therapy helps, you know. So I was talking to the therapist and said, you know, the reason why you're having such a tough tough time with the emotion is it's it's, it's cognitive dissonance for you. In your mind, when the patients are angry or it's an intense situation, it's about you. But you reframe yourself. You know, that's not the expectation. The expectation is they are going to do that. You just have to reframe it and put it into the context that at this point in time, you're the only person that they can talk to. You're the one front. Yeah, that's part of your job. You know, it's part of your job. And always understand that it's actually for a positive context in the end. Of course, there are patients, we can't help that. But in any industry, of course, there are some patients in their families who will try to take advantage. That's part of it. You know, there's no such thing as as, as a perfect society. But in the end, something did probably still happen to them. They probably triggered it. So it's about It's, it's, it's up to us to be able to fix, fix that or at least um, make sure that they have an understanding of the real situation and help them come to terms with that when I get home of course I I love my crafting crafting is a lot of ways for me to express and to you know de-stress or to decompress from what I do I love crafting so I was very into that for a a while especially when I was on the front line yes not as much not as much now because again I'm in strategy right now and I I handle a bigger you know so now I a lot of my free time is doing things like this (laughs) Talking about it, talking about it more. But yes, I do that. I love my daughters. My daughters, you know, they're into sports. My husband is into sports as well. He's a basketball coach. So watching the basketball games, the soccer games, the tennis games that they are, it's such a different, you have to switch your mind, because it's so different from what's happening in the hospital, where there's so much movement, it's really one thing happens to result into something immediately, there's no long process time, you know, it's it's amazing it's it's a good way to, it's really a good way to de-stress, and um, I, I wouldn't say I'm very religious in the sense but yes, of course, you know, I'm Catholic, so a lot of prayers, faith, really does matter for me, and of course my friends, I enjoy spending time with my friends and talking to my friends we don't see each other as much as you're older you know you don't get to see each other as much but i love going on instagram exchanging memes with them it's it's just a totally totally (laughs) stress i love them i love those jokes i love those videos a hundred percent i use that to be stressed
0: Nice, nice. And and I mean, it's true, you know, you need to kind of remove yourself from this situation and get into a totally different situation as well. Because, uh, you know, hospitals are very dynamic places. Like you said, there's not a lot of time to, to process things before the next thing's happening, right? So, so are you able to kind of be more present with your girls and, and with your family and your friends? Do you feel like you kind of switch off and then you're kind of like, okay, I'm here now. I turn off the, or do you, are you constantly getting like texts about stuff going on at the hospital or do you kind of like shut that out when you're trying to be present with your family?
1: Now, because of my, where where I am now, I don't, I'm lucky I don't get operational texts anymore, but I have to admit when I was still uh, on the front line or I was in, in a specific hospital or hospitals working, yes, I would have my phone with me because it depends, right? It's, you have to, have really good people under you and you yeah. kind of take turns right because in the end it's not about reaching one person it's about reaching a person who can help you in that instance so for for you in patient experience or I, I mean in any role you have to have people who are good your one downs your two downs who are good so that all of you can rest all of you can rest and they would only get in touch with you if You know, if there's something that really needed your attention, which generally would not, because they can handle. I think when I was still in the hospital operations, like right before I left, I I would rarely get messages already on the weekends or, you know, during holidays, because the person, the the officers in charge that we left, you know, were were the trained people. They knew how to handle situations. And they weren't young, none of them were like 25 years old or 23 years (laughs) old. You know, they were mature, they were mature. So and it gave when we were able to do it that way, you know. Really have that good officer in charge for the day in the hospital. We were able to get our rest on the off days. Again, we were available, but we knew if we did get a call, it was it was something that needed our attention, even if it was a holiday. Though it didn't happen very often anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's a sign of a well functioning kind of team. If you have people on the ground who know how to make the decisions, know how to get stuff done don't always need to be escalating every single issue right I
1: agree and as um, as a leader you have to have that succession plan in place i mean you're you're only a good leader if you can actually leave and they can function without you that means you've really done your job in making sure that the patient experience team will, will work whether or not you're there of course you'd like to believe that they need you every moment of the day <laughs> but that's not being the right kind of leader that's not being the right kind of leader absolutely
0: absolutely so true so what advice would you give if you have Young nurses coming up or young patient experience professionals coming up. Is there anything you know now that you wish you knew when you were just getting started that you would tell them?
1: You know, you have to let go of all your preconceptions about healthcare. I think that's one thing because when I got into healthcare, these were my ideas. And the moment that I told myself, wait, 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 you know what? You have to learn from every single situation that you are in learn the lessons from each of these situations. And they might not even come up exactly the same again in a couple of weeks, months, but you've learned something that maybe can help you. You'll probably be able to apply in the future. Of course, there are things that are kind of the same, but it's just because people are not the same. The way you deal and function with each person is different. I mean, I've had presidents of the Philippines come up and they're not as difficult to deal with as some other patients everyone is different i mean it's i mean that's that's just the truth you know that's just the truth but you know how to deal with people who have high expectations and demands of you you know you're able to use that lesson from previous patients and use it into the current situation and it makes it much easier for you right so i mean just let go of all preconceptions and i think that's one thing that really helped me get get me through the toughest of situations is in the end number one i was able to fix something or do something for someone very important i always think about that. that you know, it's like it's a tough day, but in the end, you know what? I was able to do something good. If it wasn't for me in the end, at least it was for the organization, maybe for my co- co-workers. You know, it happens, right? There are instances where one of the patients started throwing things, and the nurses and the doctors, they were like, they couldn't, they didn't know what to do. So, you know, I took them aside and told them, you know what? I'll just go talk to this patient. Then I told the patient, excuse me, sir, if you do, if you want to keep doing this, you're going to have to leave the hospital. And, you know, and it may not have been for him, but at least for the, I was able to take care and protect the nurses and doctors of the hospital. So, you know, it, it's uh, it's always in that context. If you keep having that in mind, you do have to have some downtime, that's true, where you don't have anything in your mind. But on a daily basis, if you have that in mind, it actually grows your capacity. You know, it grows your capacity. I mean, when you say you're an expert, actually, when you're an expert, the more you know, you don't know anything. It's kind of like that. You You learn more so that all of a sudden, it just expands for you. You can take more because you learn more.
0: Very true. So are there any predictions you have around where, where patient experience is headed over the next few years? We talked a little bit about AI, but do you see anything else kind of on the horizon or anything you'd like to see?
1: Patient experience in the home. Hospital at home is growing very much in in in, in the Asia aspect. And I think that's true because we've been seeing that, I would say, in the hospitals lately, high value cases are actually growing, meaning those that really need more difficult surgeries, etc. But a lot of the primary and the very simple, simple cases are actually taken care of at home, and that was really pushed by COVID in itself. That people realize that they don't have to come to the hospital and be admitted in the hospital for two to three days when things can get can be done at home. Right now, patient experience is very centered where the facility is, and of course, yeah, I will talk about, of course, also as website as you know things that the patients have um, can have touch points, but not as much as care at home. And I think patient experience has to move in that direction. How, how we're going to change the way we do patient experience in a person's home? Because, I mean, again, there's virtual hospital, hospital at home. How, how will we come up with new ways to collect data on that? How will we come up on ways on how to be empathetic but also think about, what we have to think about when you're also not in your home facility. Of course, you know, there are a lot of different things to think about, the legalities, et cetera. So that's one direction that's very important. I think second is Patient experience is kind of in between right now in the Philippines. I'm very lucky that Metro Pacific um, is putting me in leadership in some certain hospitals, but it's it's not happening in a lot of hospitals. So I think the transformation across the Philippines and across the rest of Southeast Asia, that's happening. Where we're getting C-suite level executives already with the patient experience title, that's very important because, you know, as much as I believe in grassroots, it does get a little bit faster done. If there's pressure from, if it's a top-down approach, you know, that's that that's really important because there, you get the right metrics into the KPIs, you know, you get the right metrics in, you get the right balance scorecard, you know, items in, and that, that really helps, that really helps.
0: Yeah. And it's one thing to have frontline people showing empathy, but it's another thing to have someone sitting, like you said, at the C-suite table discussing the importance of patient experience so that the, the people controlling the finance and the budget are all aware
1: Agree, the, the modeling, right? The modeling. Yeah. I mean, if you see your C-suite executives doing the right thing, it's e- much easier for you to do the right thing as well. And you know, I mean, my bosses who 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 would really take the time and effort to do things, you know, you, you wouldn't want to be like, oh, you don't want to be embarrassed if because they do it, you don't do it, right? So that's important as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. This has been an amazing discussion, Joyce. I, I <laughs> love the, the kind of insight into your world. Um, and I think the listeners, you know, will in, will appreciate it as well because it's it's so rare that we get to see kind of the, the inner workings, that kind of the day-to-day and everything of how patient experience actually works, especially in a place like Manila where you have so many patients. I mean, it's, it's a massive city. How big is Manila, by the way? Oh,
1: I think Metro Manila is, I think it's actually more, but I remember a year, two years ago, we were at 11 million people in Metro Manila.
0: Yeah. So that's any big U.S. city (laughs) right there. (laughs) We're not talking about a small place and everything. Yeah. So my last question, Joyce, today, you've talked about, you know, patient experience is so important to you. What would you like to be remembered for?
1: You know, that's of all the questions. It's a tough question. I think that's very Filipino of me to say, oh, you know, it's (laughs) all of a sudden I feel a little bit shy about answering that. But I think in the end, I would like, if I was remembered for something, is really making healthcare in the Philippines really more. I wouldn't I wouldn't say patient-centered, but what's the patient easy? Right? I mean, I want it to be easy for them. You know, yeah. patient-centered, yes, that's true. But just make it easy for them. You know, that's 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 all we want. We just want people to be able to pick up the phone, type a message, walk into the hospital and people look at them and say, hey, we're here to help you out. What do you need? Okay, five minutes, you get stuff done. Patient easy. That that would be the best thing in the whole world for everyone. Myself, my family, your family, our friends, just make it easy for them to get the healthcare that they need. Thank you so much, Joyce. Perfect <laughs> thank, ending. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Erica, for having me. It was, I, I, I didn't realize it, it was actually <laughs> an hour already, but I, I love patient experience, patients, their family, they're, they're what I live for, you know, their ways. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening today. I hope this has
0: been a useful investment of your time. If you feel inspired by this episode, please rate it and consider subscribing. I'm keen to know how it's impacted you. Now go out there and seize those moments.